Welcome to Spaghetti Launchers, a world-building podcast where we throw spaghetti at the wall and it's up to you what sticks. Each episode, we go in-depth on a single element of fictional worlds, breaking it down and developing unique examples live on the fly to give you ideas you can copy, steal, or be inspired by. Whether you're a writer, a GM, or an all-around nerd goblin, nerd goblin, just looking to indulge your imagination, we've got you covered. I'm Ethan. I'm Kyle. On this episode, we will be discussing topography and the natural world. Woo-woo! Mountains! Throw some spaghetti. <laughs> spaghetti mountains? Done. Podcast over. That'd, that'd actually be pretty cool. That wouldn't be bad. That's just Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Yes. Great uh, book. Book. I didn't watch the movie. I didn't either. I think I saw like five minutes of it, but I'm not. I'm not going to put my childhood at risk like that. That's a good uh, idea. Um, yeah. So topography. So when we think about the way topography is normally done, like it is no secret. It, it topography is hard because you've got two two ways to go about it. One is to create a world that is so completely foreign and different from our normal world which is slowly dying climate change is real that's a thing um then you've also got the other realm which are which is more like um kind of what tolkien did which is he built like the 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 cosmic you know genesis of the world but the world itself you know the sky was still blue the grass was still green water yeah, you can go water was clear right it's basically like, realism versus uh imaginative topography like, yeah like, exactly do you require all the rivers to flow into bigger bodies of water do you right. require uh like tectonic plates to exist to do you need to explain everything topography topographically by our Hard real word. world physics right like if, if you were thinking of tectonic plates and going onto that level of like mountain can only form here here and like in, in these specific ways then you are going with a much more realistic approach right which more power to you, but that's a little bit less interesting for us to talk about today because I think that's just a completely different school of thought and is really just potentially, potentially. But there is an element here, and I think James Cameron actually does a really good example of this with the world, uh, the world building of Pandora, which is he takes real world mechanisms like neural linkages between between you know uh, plants and and other plants which is a real world phenomenon the concept of evolution these are all things that he plays with he still create and he creates a visually stunning world yeah. is it actually that interesting no though no well, like kind of it, 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 it is and it isn't but that's the interesting thing. but it is i will say beautiful it yeah. is stunning to look at i yeah so it it, it comes down to how unique and fantastical and for like how far out are you willing to push the boundaries yeah. of and especially if you're doing it through words and mm-hmm. not visuals james cameron is empowered by being james cameron to make the visuals whatever he wants them to be right if you are limited by words or maybe uh drawing it mm-hmm. you can only go so far in explaining it in a way if it's far out explaining it in a way that it's actually digestible yeah like i can or try comprehensible to, comprehensible yeah so it's like you know uh y- your imagination and the imagination of of your audience whatever they may be is l- like it limits you there's an upper limit on how far you can go to a degree unless you explain it so crystal clear or you take concepts that are relatable mm-hmm. and then blow them up into making them so fantastical that you're like oh whoa who would have thought that you could have the rivers float right like 
When really all it could be is that mm. there's just a flow of a liquid, which for whatever reason is less dense than air. Yeah, okay. So Then air that flows for, or then some chemical gas that flows through one particular channel in the earth, right? Like that's a, well, I, that is a completely fantastical world grounded in real world physics. I'd like to noodle on this one specifically. I like noodle. the idea of a, like you have, like you have some layer of a, element uh, a gas mm -hmm. the air that is at like the ground level is the density is different and then you mm -hmm. can get to the, have that like the water floating mm -hmm. and have essentially people like going with like i don't know like um a scraper of some kind like a bucket on a stick that you that you hold up <laughs> into the water to grab uh to grab some off yeah or you, or you have like little pipes in the air that uh are like 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 suctioning the water out of this river that's flowing to bring it in to like make it like basically like I'm imagining gigantic like hamster water bottles. Yeah. Where you've got the water <laughs> flowing down or just people walking around with big straws. They just stick it up there and yeah and then go on their way. I yeah, I I guess like a maybe more grounded example would be like a ro <laughs> like a Roman aqueduct that is just sure. like that just like it has like at the end just like a small little tube that pokes into the water and then it's a larger structure because it's got to go over land and it's exposed to everything yeah but as just like a small because you don't want the water flow to be too extreme you just want like a little bit of the water and you want the river to keep yep. keep doing its thing but i think like having a river in the air is just super interesting because then you could just you could navigate under it mm -hmm. over it um, assuming you could breathe that gas but i mean that is where you i'm could... assuming you can and people live at that level they do well and you can also the the nature of evolution is that you could you can theory craft use evolution as a tool to theory craft like oh well this species just evolved to be able to do that because not because it served any particular purpose but because they could that's the beauty of you know offshoots of genetic mutation is maybe there was one tadpole that could breathe this gas and then 10 million years later we have flourishing societies in the under river yeah and like okay so Say the the river is, let's say the river was actually at, like, it was a normal river, and something happened, and the riverbed stays the same, but the water has now gone up, and the water's mm. floating, and you have, so you have the riverbed where you have the under-river civilization, you have the people who live in, like, this just giant trench that traverses an entire continent, but ab and above them is water, so they have, they have permanent shade, which is kind of interesting. That's cool, well, yeah. like, how like partial you, shade, would you grow? partial shade, because you, you, you yeah. because the water can still go from the sides on it, yeah. uh, but like depending but they, on but how they go deep up, it is, though. but they go up to to grow things, or yeah, yeah. or they just live on, live on mushrooms, or or maybe they're carnivores and just live on fish, and, and and the fish are up in the in the in the river above them, upward spear fishing, yeah, or like a net with like two sticks on the ends, and you just hold the net up for a few minutes. Yeah. And you can encompass the whole river with the net. Yeah. Just hold it up there for a few seconds and then pull it back down and you catch whatever fish were in there. Take it one step farther. In a sci-fi world, uh -huh. you have, let's say, your standard Star Trek Federation of Planets that suddenly comes under attack. And there's this, this new this new people they appear out of nowhere they have highly advanced ship blah 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 and they're disrupting supply chains and they're actively trying to take down the federation but no one can find their home world because the only sector in that space where they could possibly be is a planet of water but it's only water from the outside it only looks like it because actually the water 
is floating above, forming like a ring, a shell outside the planet. Ooh. And if you just dive deep enough, then it's you like, would discover it's a different thing. the it, whole it, civilization it, a living underworld under there, right? Like it's like um, I think it's Europa, uh, the the Saturn or Jupiter's moon, I forget which one, mm. is an ice world. Yes, and there's and it's believed that there is an entire ocean beneath it beneath this oh, ice cool. exterior so we're like it we are starting to be like okay the best place that we would be able to find life in our galaxy or in our solar system at least yeah. is going to probably be on this moon underneath that ice because if it's if, if there's water mm-hmm. there could be life there could be life so like that might actually that, that might be it's the sci-fi possible, world there yeah. might be a whole civilization on the ice there's probably not i'm not putting on a tinfoil mm-hmm. hat i don't believe in that but uh i do but but yeah like i i think that's really cool of like you can hide beneath people bring their own preconceived notions of topography and of like the natural world to be like people don't live underwater like that that's a water planet yep. nothing for us unless we want to build boats yep you know people look at a mountain and they go well that's not traversable and it's like well might be it like might be. the topography is what you are used to in your society is not what this other society who lives there is accustomed to it's like you know the navi back to avatar of mm-hmm. like they they are in t- intertwined with the world and they can like mm-hmm. th- and they fly or they like can swim in like crazy ways and like they can traverse that world in ways that are very natural to them but like humans come in and need big old robots or right. whatever to do they can't we are like if, if you are a foreigner to that land everything seems your understanding of it is going to be inherently limited yeah you it's can like really... it's like the, the old thing you know or the book about religion map is not territory right like yeah. you can map it but that's not the same thing right like yeah you can map a territory it's not the same thing as actually being there and exploring it and, yeah well and it's because there's a very common trope and i think james cameron is leaning into this of having like people split up sort of by environment right where you've yeah. got or by element where you've got the wood people and the water people and the fire people. The fire and nation, the earth nation, the water exactly. tribes. And, or the, the air tribes. And yeah, the earth the air- kingdom, air nomads. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Get your avatar right. I'm sorry. Other avatar and get it right still. Um, but, you know, that that is a, that there's, a, that's a trope and there's a trope for that reason. What we were just talking about is, you know, until you can actually, you know, people grow and evolve to be in natural equilibrium with their environments. Um Ideally speaking. Yeah. Humans, you know, insert Agent Smith's monologue from the Matrix here. My fi- One of my favorite things to do when I'm world building is to find very small circumstances or very small naturally occurring events and just take them to say, well, what if they were much more commonplace? What if they were took up a bigger s- bit of territory, right? So we have... We think about volcanoes, for example, as like these, you know, they're mountains, but there's an inherent contradiction to them because the soil is also so fertile near them. And there's also a lot of creatures, both in above ground volcanoes and underground, where they can actually live. They live and thrive there. Again, life evolves where it can, not for any other reason than that. Um, And so I like the idea, for example, of there being a not necessarily a race they can just be creatures and these are creatures that exist in this world in our world they are snails basically who have uh their shells are made of an inherently like fire resistant material i forget exactly what they're called but these things are crazy they're real and they live in underwater volcanoes and that's insane but imagine if these things were everywhere and imagine they were just 
angry or they were a predator species. And how would you fight these things if you were not suited to that environment yourself? Like, Interesting. that's a real life dragon turtle type thing. Where do cool. you go from that? Right. Like, and so that's kind of the, I, I like that. That's a big noodle. You know, that's l- less pasta, spaghetti, more like pad CU, you know, a big flat noodle, <laughs> but <laughs> still a noodle. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't really have any sauce on that, but I have a different noodle, which is building off the idea of volcanoes as we know, like we know worlds are constructed. We live on a rock there are gas giants. There are other types of planets that are comprised of other materials. Volcanoes exist to basically create new land. Yeah. What if there are no volcanoes? Hmm. There is no hot core at the center of of this world. Land is constructed in a different way. I'm trying to think of, I'm noodling on ways in which that land is constructed. So how do mountains appear? And I'm like, okay, you've got, a world where they are in the middle of an asteroid belt. There's a constant flow oh, of cool. of material into the world, and the atmosphere seems to be redirecting all of it to like in one like in certain areas where it basically just gets plopped down as a as a spike mm-hmm. in a mountain range, mm-hmm. where it's just like you're constantly just they're just colliding into each other. So like part of this world. It's just kind of like, maybe like be really careful if you're there because there might be a spike flying. Yeah. And the impact is somehow th- that land is able to absorb it super well. So it's not creating these massive impacts that are killing everybody. Mm. Physics is up for grabs in a fantastical, of course, scenario. And we'll so talk you, about physics later in another episode. Well, we can, we can try. Uh, but physics physics is definitely on the table in these scenarios. So like, it, but if you have, uh, it, it could be like one concentrated mountain range that, go, that goes across the, or it's. Like thinking of like Olympus Mons on Mars, you've got mm. one super mountain. Mm-hmm. We, what if we just have a super mountain where all of these asteroids keep going to this one spot? They're all drawn to it from, from like a magnetism perspective. Like these these asteroids have a little bit of metal in them, and it's like a pole. It's like a North Pole that is pulling everything. That's cool. So then you get this like accumulation, and you have like this giant mountain that is big. It's the only mountain in the entire world. The rest of it's flat. No hills, just flat. It is a perfectly spherical globe. I love but then that. one big cyst. That's really cool. And then and then people avoid it, or it's like it's a place people make a pilgrimage. It's a place yeah. people see a sacred it's a holy place, or it's a place that's feared. Mm. That's what it, that's what it is. It's feared because, of course, it is. It's a it's a spot that there are rocks falling from the sky. And like large ones and just colliding into this. So people who have gone there have died because yeah. they were hit by rocks. Few people have, have survived, but it's like a wasteland because nothing is growing there. It's yeah. fire. It is because it's like if they're riddled with fire it, and it, ash. Like because whenever like nature gets a chance to thrive, they they get a rock coming in right. and it and it sparks another like a, a fire in there. You have wildfires all the time. The interesting thing you said something you distinguished between sacred and and a place to be feared. That's not distinct. That's no, not necessarily yeah. distinguished. Like this could be a place where people do fear, but maybe there are sects, there are cults, there are people who view going there as a pilgrimage or a rite of ascension or or to get closer to the gods. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, there's that old joke about oh, M- Mount Olympus was there the whole time. It was very easily climbable, and people just I've seen didn't. Mount Olympus. It, yeah. is, it is not very tall of a mountain. I was like from a, I saw it from like a highway a while away, and I was like. 
that's pretty short. We could do that. I could do that. Yeah. Today. With, right. With no gear. <laughs> it is not a particularly enormous mountain. But so imagine, though, there was a world where people actually did. And they yeah. did. And they saw it as some sort of right of ascension. That's a that's a cool idea. And it's just existing it is dangerous for no other reason other than just that's the nature of the place. That's just the physical. You could even take, um, got some fresh noodles here. What if we were to take that idea, a place that is just dangerous because of the way it is? What is the name of, um, there's that pit that's open that's... The one in like uh, Turkmenistan or Uzbekistan. It's one of the stands. It's one of the I forget which one, but it was, the they discovered it was like a methane gas deposit and they're like oh we'll just light it and burn it away and mine there and they lit it and it just continues to burn because it is just a natural method turkmenistan of, turkmenistan um they it is otherwise known as the door to hell or gates of hell the gates of hell but it's technically called the darvaza gas crater because it was they found gas and the gas was it is permanently burning now imagine there was an ocean of that oh my god where it's you terrifying. where you just had an ocean that was burning. Like, you know, you had a gas giant, kind of like the world that you were you were just describing, but the worlds around it, civilization was built on asteroids that maybe collided and formed some sort of, again, outer shell. I'm apparently really into this idea of shell worlds yeah. um, around it. And so they had to figure out how do you navigate a sea of fire like that? Because gas has very similar physical properties to... Air, which has very similar physical properties to water from a navigation perspective, from a physics perspective, right? Like, you know, flow, thrust, all that stuff. So would you have to fly through the fire? Could you fly on top of it? Like, that would create an interesting dynamic there. And then again, volcano snails. You go below it. Heat rises. Oh. People traverse it by basically, say you have like crawling submarines that are like flat. So people lie down, and you go to the bottom of, of, oh, of the fire, cool. and you get a, go across it, and then you pop back up the other side, all as low as possible with, like, ceramic tiles or ceramics uh-huh. on top to insulate you. But because heat rises, you you, you got to go below. Love it. That'd be, that'd be fun. That'd be great. And you could even make it so that, you know, there's that one part of fire where it's not actually burning. You know, when you light a match, there's like that one gap, that one small part of fire where you can stick another match and it won't light. And Mm -hmm. maybe that's the area where you navigate. just Where there's there's no air. Where there's no air, where it's just above where it's burning. You're still technically in the burning area, but it's not on fire. But you have to stay, you have like a one foot margin of error. Yeah. Well, and then it like you, if you have a ocean of fire, then you invite the questions of how do people prize fire? Like what becomes like... Fire is such an achievement in human civilization, in mm. our world. Fire becomes so commonplace in these worlds. Maybe it's um, ice is like a miracle. Like to have something get cold enough oh, that it is the, interesting. The, like because you, you get to flip it on its head mm-hmm. of like, all right, if this exists, what exists? Like how does that affect the rest of society? Right. And a, a, like we think of water as so abundant. The seas, like yep. the earth is mostly ocean. What happens if your world is we mostly We are mostly fire? water. Yeah, we are mostly water. <laughs> so like people would have to be adapted to a much hotter climate, presumably. You could change the climate in that place all you want. You, you can make it so that the the flames are actually really weak. You can make it so that there's like the airflow is like 
pumping it up and it's like all going out of the atmosphere. Yeah. I don't know. You could you could make it however you want, but presumably it's gonna be a hot, much hotter world. So cold is gonna be really impressive and rare. This reminds me a little bit of Dune, almost where you know you think of the the idea of like you know a massive desert planet where water is this incredible, incredibly yeah. scarce resource. If you have a planet that is unlike ours, that is largely dominated by inhospitable heat, like a desert planet or a, or territory surrounded by an ocean of fire, interesting implications for a potential pantheon, right? You know, typically we consider the sun god or the sky deity to be the ruler, the the benevolent one, the bringer of light and darkness yeah, is always like the, seen. The, like the, the head of any pantheon is always... It's Zeus. It's uh, Odin. It's is Ra the head of the pantheon? Maybe for Egy- ancient Egyptian. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know if, if there was a hierarchy in the ancient Egypt Egyptian oh, yeah. one. But yeah, like they're definitely they're the ones that are most revered. Yeah, they are often very very sky sun deities, right? Yeah. But in this world, it would be different because these would be the ones that would be creating an inhospitable world, whereas the night deities. Or like the deities of the earth, like they are the yeah. Uh, there's like a deity of underground caverns, like underground caverns become the shade bringer. Yeah, that, like that's what people really are aspiring towards. They're like, we want to find more space underground. We want to find shaded areas. We want yeah. to find places that are. Uh, we we will make do with everything else. We just don't want to be as hot, right? We want to be cool, right? So we got to get as deep as possible, and it changes even the 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 nature of language you know think about how many of our aphorisms and idioms are based on oh well look how think about how high you can rise shoot yeah. for the stars and you never know where you'll land you know shoot for the moon and you'll land among the stars that kind of thing what if yeah, it's like, or like man i really hope you fall deep yeah and that's a well wish any anything about like hot or uh, they're on fire right now yeah. or like that's lit like yeah. you know <laughs> like you can i feel attacked sir <laughs> Like, yeah, like there's a lot of, like, we, we use fire as so instrumental, so it, in all of our language, yeah, a lot of great room to run on that one. Yeah. So now I'm I'm thinking more on, back to topography as like topographical map. You're looking and you're seeing the elevation levels and looking at like mountainous areas. And I yeah. like, and, and I really love, we're keeping up Avatar because it's a really great visual representation. Let's distinguish here which Avatar we're talking about uh, Pandora, James Cameron. There we go. Blue people um, avatar. Yeah, I don't think like the actual physical world in Avatar: The Last Airbender is. It's not like it's not a, a huge part of it. I don't think. Um, like it is. Boy, but, I'm gonna fight you over that later. No, but get your idea. Get your noodles out first, and then I'll, I'll prove well, you like, wrong. Well, it's like it's animation from 2003. That's mm-hmm. what I'm getting at. Like it doesn't doesn't fully do, do a great job. Uh, but the like he's the, wrong. Folks. The, the floating mountains. The uh, the Hallelujah Mountains. The Hallelujah Mountains. <laughs> but I was like, best name ever. If you look to Meteora in Greece, which is like city and like a region that is kind of constructed on these pillars coming out of out of the ground like these sheer cliff faces yeah. uh, you look at uh the place that inspired james cameron in china there's like a forest that's like uh it's a national forest park and i'm gonna try and say the name and it's gonna be brutalized it's uh zhang jiaji uh z h a n g i i'm sorry j i a j i e look it up it's incredible because it's basically just a bunch of pillars that have like uh greenery growing on them that are just in the middle of this like it it looks like a forest but every tree is instead just a rock formation no kidding and it's really cool and like you can 
imagine, I mean, he used this for his inspiration for his, his world, but you can use it for inspiration in your world too. Absolutely. Like, what if the entire world is rock formations like that? There's no open land. Yeah. How do you navigate that? How do you exist in that? How do people find homes? Like you would block off all these passageways because you, there's all there's rock pillars everywhere. So you would basically build like cities into yeah. these into these areas where you have like like singular or like spider webs where you like have all these cables and nets connecting the pillars where people can sort of gather and live between and there's living almost a vertical lifestyle. Yeah, these are people where they're. Their their webs, you know, like, I mean, this is Spider Man's wet dream, like where you're yeah. like crawling up and down, or you're using cables, or yeah, like, like the, you, you, the metal bending cables from uh, Legend of Korra, or you just go like around. straight up like uh, pulley elevators. You just throw a bunch of elevators with with a pulley system yeah. all over that, and then you, but then and then you have, you know, if you go fully vertical, that's one way. Or if you if you take up the ground and you use the pillars as essentially a cover because maybe maybe there are sky creatures that are really dangerous mm. uh, and these are great ways to kind of keep them at bay because it's hard for them to get down into these little crevices yeah and then uh you can then you block off a bunch of these areas so you, you have to like have only designated areas you can walk through you're basically you're, you're like forcing roads to right. be really empty roads because they're not they're not yeah. roads carved into earth these are it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a bas relief right like where the definition comes from what's been carved away but everything's been carved away so it's a canyon road it's an empty road yes it's, it's something something like that yeah i think like the, the void pass void pass yeah void yeah. is such a cool word void is a cool I word. Gotta, god so good but like if, if you like humans like to settle in river deltas on coasts on lakes anywhere there's mm-hmm. a big body of water mm-hmm. if you take away that notion where should people settle and usually it's a it's dictated by the geography of the world the topography mm-hmm. that people don't necessarily usually settle in the highlands they're, they're usually pretty isolated spaces well, and they're like, typically pretty barren and unlivable too it depends like you look at the highlands in papua new guinea uh it's like anthropologists uh yep. like favorite place to look at because it's a lot of tribes that are very isolated from each other and like they can survive and there's tons of uh food and there's like the nature there is very robust but it's so Mm. dense and they're untouched by the outside world it's a a lot of people that still exist on earth who've Mm. never been contacted Mm -hmm. live in papua new guinea Mm -hmm. or like the amazon or you know but you look at like the scottish highlands they were so independent and i think a lot of that comes from the fact that they were they have these the highland right that, that, like they were physically difficult to get to yeah like there is a pride and there is a sense of uh defensive defensiveness that comes from having the high ground because people can't get to you but what if all you it's have over, is Anakin. high ground <laughs> it's over <laughs> uh what, 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 if, what if all there is is high ground yeah. what, what if the low ground is so uninhabitable what if that's the most unsafe areas and then yeah. people are having to like traverse on the high ground do people want to flight very early? Do you just have paragliding mm. like immediately? Because mm-hmm. people are like, I need to get to the other side of the canyon because that's where I like I, we go to buy these goods. Yeah, and we can either go down into the canyon where all of these dinosaur esque creatures live, and yep. and it's really dangerous, or you just paraglide over it and you kind Thank of you like for flying with catapult airways. Please yeah, have catap- a safe landing. Yeah, what if you literally catapult stuff? Mm-hmm. That would be really cool. If, like there are safe zones of like that like can catch it. They've got giant nets and they just catapult stuff. Just a cacophony of Wilhelm screams. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, or, or you're you're catapulting things, not people. Nah, but, well, so, that's but, not but as then fun. but then people sneak into it, and it's it's a uh, it's a way to like illegally move because they try to keep, make sure people aren't moving around, and you have like. Uh, like, interesting that's uh, cool almost like human trafficking but it's like uh it's like you have coyotes like, yeah, yeah. who are like Look, i can get you across the canyon yeah it's gonna cost you and then you're like oh but to get across the canyon, it means i have to sit inside of a bag and be launched on the catapults ah crap that could that's be dark it's dark but, but it, but be- it no but it makes a point again it's the you're still able to tell a very relatable story in a completely fantastical environment that way yeah and like almost every story in the real world you can tell it in a Absolutely. weird way in a fantastical environment and allegory i mean like yeah. that, we've just redefined allegory <laughs> we just yeah. reverse engineered allegory but yeah i i like the high ground i like high, high ground. grounds are cool I, I i like the idea of just in, like like we did with the water like we're doing inverting what land is habitable yeah like basically like if you're thinking of because we are coming in with the construction of like what's on earth and just mm-hmm. invert it's what really hard to get out of our map yeah and think differently and yeah. it's it's it limits more than we think it limits our ability to world build and to have something be fully lived, feel fully lived in and, and comprehensible even. Right. Um, I thought one of the best, one of the best examples of this that I've seen in recent memory was in Wakanda forever. I haven't when, seen it yet. Oh, you should. Very good. But when they go underwater into uh, Talokan, which is the, the Atlantis of the MCU, one of the really interesting things that they did was that the the civilization, the architecture, is is fully three D. Because when you're underwater, you can float. There's no up and down in the same way. Not everything is pulled yeah. down in the same way. So they actually yeah. had shops and things that would go up walls and up and upside down. So imagine if you were, or think even of the way that the the International Space Station is designed, where there's air, but there's no gravity. It's like, oh, well, where do you sleep? Well, we don't know if we're sleeping up or down. We just have these compartments in what we think is the floor, but it might also be the ceiling. Yeah, I mean, you could just take that and put it up in the sky and just say, like, it's the it's the plane of air. It is, yeah. everything is, you are lighter than the air here. You have, you just you are in zero g essentially just float around do whatever and you can just build like you just throw buildings out there into the space and then you like you have to like tether it to something to make sure that they don't collide yeah oh that's really fun yeah like like, how do you deal you don't have an earthquake you have a sky quake yeah or you you have sky collisions you've Mm -hmm. got things like crashing into each other because uh because of, of a wind or because say too many people went into this building and they all went to one side Uh and then it really just started to uh, like the weight started to kind of move it a little bit. People kept walking in one direction and they just moved the building a little bit and the mm-hmm. building starts drifting and then collides with another. How do you deal with that? That's really cool. I think that can be kind of fun. Yeah. Like, because like zero G is zero G, but what if it's, there's a little bit of gravity, just mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. So like things have a, a natural movement to them, but it's so, sl- so slight. You can counteract it however you want. So you can just be like, all you need is like, one light pull that like and by that i mean a lightweight pull that just is like 50 feet tall and it just holds up this entire 50 ton building 
because the, the gravity's so light. But if, if you didn't have it, it would just slowly. It wouldn't fall well, immediately. But it would slowly yeah. fall to the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just have like, you know, and you have like a, a crew of people whose job it is to go maintain the <laughs> the support structures, which are literally just like double check. strong hand. <laughs> yeah, just double check that all the straws aren't breaking. Like, right. <laughs> like you know, the straw that broke the human back, but the straw that holds up a whole the civilization. The straw that broke the... Or, and it, I mean, if you want to get serious about it, you could call them like, you could call them like the atlas because uh, yeah, you're literally holding the world up yeah um but i do i i think that i love the visual idea of someone standing there being on shift just, just standing just holding, there holding just... a pole and like on their phone the whole time <laughs> don't, fall, don't fall don't fall don't fall don't fall just keep the pole steady yeah <laughs> if if you change the, i guess like this is somewhat fi- changing with the physics rather mm-hmm. than the topography but if you're changing but topography is Yes, it depends on physics. Oh yeah, and like these two are so intertwined. Getting to. where like the episode title that, that we've picked is so like is going to be hard to it's hard to encompass all that we're talking about. Yeah, so we're just talking about changing up the natural world in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like if you change up the physics, you, you you can change up the topography by just removing yourself from the bounds of the physical world, and you can create a a civilization that exists in whatever arrangement your like your mind can come up with. Mm-hmm. Look at any fantasy art, and it's like shit's floating everywhere. Of course it is. It's Why interesting. It? Yeah. Like, and 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 there's like you're closer to the stars. The stars are actually right there. Why not? Yeah. Why like? Hmm. I'm trying to think of like how do you involve like if you are just physically closer to a star, would that be interesting? Well, you could know? start playing with. You could then start playing with very much like Interstellar did. Start playing maybe with gravity a little bit and, and time in, and time and the impact that it has there. So yeah. it's that's less topography explicitly, but if you think about it, if you say the gravity, let's say you live on a on a planet, and again, this gets to a similar structure, right? But let's say you live on a planet that has its own gravitational field, but there is another planet or a black hole or a superstructure that has its own strong gravitational field, where you, as long as you break, reach escape velocity and get break the limit of your own gravity. But what if there is no null space? What if you reach that point, you just immediately flip and turn upside down and are immediately pulled relatively. You are looking upside down because you're just being pulled to an opposite gravitational world and they just exist in perfect balance. Yeah, I like it. I was actually going to a similar direction too. I I, I, I I love that, but I was thinking less that there's an opposite one, more that there's you're just perfectly locked into on the edge where like half of the world is a strong gravitational pull, the other half is very normal. So it's like uh-huh. um, it's like a punishment or like or say on the gravitational side is where like all the natural like the most valuable natural resources are. So it's like it's like coal miners. It's yeah. like it's really tough to go over there. It's really like a back breaking work but we really want that resource so people have to go into this like strong gravitational pull and like they're all like really like their backs are physically breaking because they're having to like fight against like yeah. 7g or whatever oh, like man. to yeah. get to like to mine or to like chop down a tree or to just like pick a pick some flowers like it could be literally anything but just if the gravitation oh, cool. if the gravity is not necessarily polar opposites but just way stronger and In then very area. normal yeah. yeah and then like basically take a gravitational well and make it the whole like a whole half of a planet so would gravity then let me throw some sauce on there would gravity then function similar to ocean pressure so you know there's that thing about the 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 blobfish which is like the ugliest animal but it only looks like that because the pressure yeah 
is so much weaker here that it's actually like exploding. You know, like when you get yeah. the bends, if you're scuba diving and you come up too fast, yeah. your eyes can get damaged and pop out. Yeah. Would the same work for gravity? Where what if there are species there? What if there are resources that can only exist there? Yeah. Because as soon as they get out into a weaker gravity, either they explode because they don't have that same gravitational pressure keeping them physically intact, or maybe they just are animals and they don't think, and they just start flying off because they're trying yeah. to run normally. And then whoops, suddenly they're flying away and it's, there they go. It's very similar to um, the expanse, which is fucking phenomenal. Know, you keep telling me to watch it. You should absolutely, I know it's I'm probably not the best sci-fi thing told in recent years. It's so good. And one of the, one of the coolest pieces of world building is the way that like they play with the physics really accurately. And, and they have the belters who live only in the asteroid belt and they, uh, so they're not used to 1G. They live in less than 1G. Oh, cool. And uh, like it is – there's a scene where they're torturing a belter on Earth by uh, making them – like because like they can give them medicine or something. Like they can make them adjust to live in – to like – Live to, in 1G. To, to cope to, with 1G. But they torture them by, by putting them up on hooks in the air. Like like his arms oh, on hooks and then and then let him deal with with the pressure of the gravity. Oh God! It's horrifying. Oh, that's awful. And, I love it. But it's like yeah, people are. I'm sorry, people. I'm broken. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, this is not real. No one in the real world is dealing with this. Uh, but uh, taking if you take gravity away from a, people, they will evolve, and then you throw it back at them. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna suffer. Yeah. So like. But what, so what if in like I, I like what you're saying like you're just like a different species almost yeah and what if it's you have two you have an alien species that exists on the the, the high G world or the high G half and mm. then you've got everybody else living on the the low G half and they know like they're like, basically they they have a stalemate piece because they just can't even bother with each other like they yeah, literally can't survive in each other's world yeah so they're like oh well we're all good then right yeah. they're like yeah everybody what are we gonna do about it yeah not much we can do and we, we don't want to yeah we don't want to bother with you and so then you just have like a really amicable trade arrangement mm. of like well we really like the fruit you guys can grow with uh because with normal gravity with normal gravity your fruit can flourish but when we grow it it, it just immediately mean we get squashed because it's all water but we have great like hard materials that that grow under the the oh, density cool. yeah. like they're forced to be more dense because of the gravitational pull like you can really get into like almost the science of it mm-hmm. uh, and you can be like well there's a, there's a great trade route going on there that's really and it's it, there are interesting when you think of resources as an offshoot, and we'll have a whole other episode on resources, but if you have a consider resources as an offshoot of topography, then this scenario that you've just described creates really interesting geopolitical dynamics because is all of one section united against another, or is maybe the section that creates the super strong, super dense materials, are they basically just double dealing and facilitating an arms war? between mm-hmm. other sides just for shits and giggles because they can't live in that world. So they're just bored and they're just double dealing as much as they can try. You know, it, the, 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 yeah. it, the game theory of it is interesting. Yeah. That's a good point. And what if, and a tiny little bit more sauce, what if that area is only gravitationally stronger because it was not part of the original planet? What if it was an asteroid kind of drawing from your earlier idea that hit the planet yeah. And it's just such a denser material. It's not dense enough to affect the whole planet's gravity, but just that one area. Yeah. Yeah, concentrated 
gravitational changes is interesting. Yeah. Because then it's like, hmm. It's like one city's worth of space yeah. is highly, is like, is even more, like, it's so strong, like, almost nobody can go into it. Right. What exists in the center of that? Like, and, and then it's like, then you have, like, all the riches in the world exist there. It's so, it's so dense, it is creating diamonds out of everything. Like, you know, I don't know, like, you, you, you I could. I love that, that's cool. Like, the, like, you look at Ironically, it, it's physically dark, but you call it, like, the shining city because it's a diamond in there, theoretically, or something like that. I love the contrast in that. Or it is not dark. You can see how shining it is. Oh. And so everyone gets so tempted. And you and, and, and on, on on the edge of the shining city are just skeletons. You you've gotten like a like a public mass grave because the every, dead wall. Because the dead wall. Because everybody tries to to go into because they're like, oh my god, I'm gonna be rich. I found this. And then they and then they walk like a few feet in and they're just crushed by the gravity. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And I love the idea of there being something that looks beautiful. I mean, we have it with yeah. poison tree frogs. We have it, you know, all these things that are some of the most beautiful in the world yeah. that are actually the most deadly or the deadliest, excuse me. What if new new bowl of noodles here, drawing again earlier on volcanoes, you know, when volcanoes explode, what if, uh, you know, there was a volcano in a desert, just say for example, okay. right? And when it exploded, an offshoot result of that was that it fused all the sand and materials nearby into glass. So you have this oh, whole yeah. territory, this mountain and territory of glass. Fuck. And it's beautiful to look at from afar. Why? Because it's literally a mountain of glass. It's prismatic. The light is reflecting. It is beautiful. It is a it is a captured rainbow. It is a rainbow given form. And the entire area around it is completely uninhabitable. Not because of the volcano itself, but because the glass. Who was it that invented that death ray with Archimedes? With Archimedes, yes. The light, the sunlight, normal sunlight, is just reflecting off of this glass so intensely and being magnified and warped that the entire area is basically surrounded by an Archimedes death ray. Yeah. Love it. I got nothing beyond that, but uh, I've got some that's sauce it. on it. It's just the the prism mountain. That's it. That's all I got. All right, so, so a little bit of sauce. So, what if on because it's only really a threat if it's sunny. Uh, so yes, on cloud, true, good so people avoid it, and it's too dangerous, and it's too hot, it's too bright, whatever. Mm -hmm. But there is a strong um, tourism attraction to it. On cloudy days, rich people take like uh, they kind of like uh java's pleasure yacht like, yeah like or, you or like, like a gondola yeah but we like you like float above the glass uh, or you can walk on the glass but the glass might be slick no because no, no. you can get traction on glass but what however maybe it's would, just naturally edgy and sharp and yeah mm. yeah i don't know uh well i don't think glass glass has to be smooth right whatever the logistics of, of traversing is uh, aside it becomes a tourist attraction it becomes a place people seek to go to because it's like it is considered to be such a marvel of the natural world. It, it could be sacred. It could be just really cool, whatever. Yeah. But you you have people flocking to it on cloudy days, and it comes up. It gives you a, a great tense moment in any story. Is like the clouds suddenly start to break, yeah. and everyone's freaking the fuck out because uh -huh. they're going to burn. Yeah. So you 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 add a you, you add a clock, yeah. or it's like people they start breaking into the glass. Like we, if we can get underground, we, oh, we, we can avoid yeah. it. So there's like there are certain. It, it's like. Um, the Everest uh, like chasms, 
There's a few chasms yeah, that exist in, somewhere in the ice. The people have broken into the glass to create like a little, like a, a hole to go to go down into in an emergency. And then you climb down and you find that there's skeletons in there yeah. because the sun didn't break for a long time. So yeah. they, or they still died or it's still just unlivable. I mean, you're still digging down into a volcano. It's maybe, maybe you can only live down there it's a, for it's, a day before you die from heat exposure or not even that people think that that's a good idea. That every time they drop down, they almost immediately die. So it's just people who just haven't quite realized. And it's like, uh, ex- the experience tour guides are like, do not drop into a hole. We, mm-hmm. we just have to try to get away as fast as possible. Uh, I don't know. I feel like this would have been like, and if this were made into a movie in the 90s, it would have starred like Alec Baldwin or something. I was thinking um, Dennis Quaid, <laughs> uh, but that's just because of his his propensity for disaster movies. It's true. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think the glass mountain, the prison mountain is really cool. And I think, because you can make your topography can just be made of different materials, Absolutely. like making a mountain out of glass. And like, that's a scientifically backed one, but you can also do non-scientifically backed ones. Absolutely. Of like, you just have a, you have a mountain made out of wood. You just have a giant tree that mm-hmm. its trunk, like the, the top of the tree was broken. And now it's just a giant tree trunk that is like, mm. that is the size of a mountain that just exists. That's cool. And what do you do with that? It, it's not even a tree. It's not even that cute. It's not even that uh, beautiful maybe it, maybe it's dead. Because think about the amount yeah. of water that it would take to keep that tree alive. Okay. So it is dead. It sucked up all the water. And, and to, to, like civilization started to tap into the tree to, to, uh, to get the water back. Because I love it. Because it started to tap into the aquifers, into the, like, the groundwater. And, they yep. were, and people were like, no, no, no we're going to die. So they, they killed it. the tree. Yep. By by just attacking it and like tapping into it like uh like maple syrup mm-hmm. uh with water spigots to remove its water. Or what if it's not even through water spigots? What if they have to actively mine the tree? That's an interesting mining uh, for water. You're mining for water where you're literally pulling. You know, think of uh, I saw this video the other day that was really cool of showing how you uh, squeeze coconut milk out of coconut flesh, and it's just you're pressing it slowly and slowly mm. so it comes out. But what if you're doing this with wood? Yeah. Where all the the water's in the wood. It's not like there's not like a river flowing up. The water's in the wood. Yeah. So you have to mine yeah. to stay alive. But the more you mine, the more you're destroying livable space. And where, you know, I mean, there's your parable for climate or your allegory for climate change, right? Is yeah. Your, your need for materials to survive is physically destroying the world on which you live. Yeah. I love that of just like, because then you, you get... I think every, not every, but a lot of really cool fantasy worlds or uh, fantastical worlds have an industry that is so like central mm. that is unique. And like the idea of it's like, we are the, like, we are wood miners. We are, yeah. we are like, uh, we are, we are water mining out of the wood. Like we mm-hmm. are taking the wood and we are like the coconut, like we are, we are smashing it down. Like that's so much of their society is just doing that because yep. that's the only way for them to survive. Yep. So like they're not an advanced economy. They're just, they are like literally just breaking this tree down and be like, we will take all the water out of you that we can. Mm-hmm. And they're slowly getting closer and closer to getting into the trunk because they're running out of water in the, in the roots. I love that. And, be, and so they're like, eventually then you have like a water war or you have mm-hmm. like, you have a tension where people worship the, the tree and they're like, and they worship the tree as it once was, not anymore. Be- before, before the, the top of the tree fell, they have attention of like, well, no, we can do the roots. That's fine, but we can't go to the trunk, guys. Like, you're not allowed to go to the trunk. And then they're like, we got to go to the trunk, running out of water. This is literally the Giving Tree. Oh, is it? I haven't read the Giving Tree. 
Uh, you have never read The Giving Tree? I, mean, I, I know. I guess I did, but it, it's the kids' book, right? Yeah. I was thinking of The Tree of Life or whatever. Oh no, I um, haven't read that. No, uh, I'm talking about the kids' book. Where I don't it's, remember you know, it, but so I do remember it's, it. It's the the young boy who takes who just keeps taking from this tree, and eventually it ends up in uh, with the old man after he, all that's left from the tree is a stump. Then yep. the tree says, oh, I still love you, little boy. Like, come, you can sit on my stump and provide a place to rest. Uh, and it's this really, like, loving and touching and heartwarming, but it's also really sad. Yeah, and really... People, they're taking too much from the tree. They're taking too much from the tree. And it's... it's it's There was this very funny... Uh, YouTube video I watched about it said this isn't this is an abusive relationship like this <laughs> this is a snuff film this oh, isn't a, this isn't a, a cute child story but it, but that's a great story is how do you, that tension yeah of where do you stop how like can you when you're trying to what if you're living in a natural world like this where you cannot find equilibrium you physically resources are so limited where you physically cannot I mean that's yeah, that's, that's any situation is e- equilibrium can seem like it exists to you in the present, but that's because you don't have the the whole span of time visible to you at Correct. the moment. So yep. like, of course, like, you know, I mean, we have this in the real world. It's like the gener- generational shifts help us see the lack of equilibrium. Uh, but also if you live in a world where information is not, we don't have the internet, like you're not going to realize you're not in equilibrium. Right. But I, I but I want to circle back. I'm like, cause I, I, to even to move further from the giving tree is just, okay. So say it's not just one giant tree, but there is no water. There is no ground. There's no um, surface water anywhere on the planet. It's mm. all groundwater and all comes through the trees. So yep. it's it. So it's like a forest world. All the water is coming up. So every. So it's just like individual trees are mm. being mined. Okay. And getting the, back to your tap idea. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, or, or no, getting to them. I like because I like the the cut it down and press and the, press the, it. Okay. The, the, the pressing technique. Um, I love the idea. Like I, I think that's really interesting. But like if you just set it not for one specific tree, but for like an entire world, because like. What if a world just doesn't have surface water, but mm-hmm. still has life? That yeah. that could happen because there's groundwater. Yeah. Uh, for those of you unaware of the difference, surface water is literally at the surface. You can go up and you can touch it. Groundwater is like aquifers, well, but beneath the earth where mm-hmm. usually you get your drinking water from. I, I don't really know there's much more on that. I just, I like that idea. No, it's a cool idea. And again, it's it's how do you construct your world? And by world, I don't mean the physical world, your your society, your civilization, your economy to reflect the natural world which you've constructed it's it's not just about yeah. constructing floating mountains it's what are the implications of that what are the impl- like why do they float is there stone that's less dense than air well what the fuck do oh, we do with that Can wait we- hollow stone stone full of helium a stone full of helium fuck that's what cool the, like what the fuck do you do with that then can you militarize that absolutely you can militarize that there's a there's a great moment in taskmaster series 10 where moan rizwan tries to put helium in an egg to make it float and everyone mocked him and i'm like that's still a fun idea and what if it had worked what if it had worked what if you could have floated an egg so like but if you could literally if if these rocks just came naturally full of helium yep. just enough to be like if we go back to the the airplane world or the the, the plane of air world mm-hmm. where everything is like kind of untethered a little bit yeah and this rock is just naturally just a, like it's able to flow and it doesn't go flying up like a helium balloon because it's got enough weight mm-hmm. but it but also like so if you just like pop it up a little bit it'll just kind of it, 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 it'll float like a regular a, a regular balloon yeah but it's made of stone right and That's, you can visit phys- you have to physically tether it you can push it with enough weight. Like, I mean, there's a lot you could do with that. There's a lot. That's a really, really cool idea. I don't, what I don't, if you I, could breathe water? 
And then you can just end up in uh, like uh, Atlantis again. Yeah. And yeah, I think that I one is not. pretty done. I don't like the idea of breathing water as much. What if... Because I, I think if you go to like the raw elemental planes, yeah. you get a lot of great ideas of what if you just normalized it? Yeah. What if you could what if you could survive in fire? What if you were mm-hmm. fireproof and you didn't need oxygen? What if what if you were able to just merge with the mud and merge with the earth and you could just walk through the earth? What if what if you could do that? What if also Do you remember that video I sent you a couple days ago where uh Brandon Sanderson was talking to the uh scientist who had actually successfully aerated sand? To create a sand ocean that basically operated with the same physical properties of water, but it was sand. That's cool. So you could say you would still have oceans in the plane of Earth, but they're just sand. Yeah, that's and then cool. you're sailing and then you 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 sort of you land and then you have to kind of figure out you're stuck in this ocean of quicksand effectively. Like, yeah. How do you. It's like like what people like uh, on sand dunes when they go to like do recreational sports on sand dunes like they're water. But what if you, yeah. just, you just took that and you're like, what, what if it's not recreational? It's literally just traversal. Mm-hmm. Like there are freight ships going across the sand, yeah. uh, a sand ocean. Absolutely. We've, I think oceans we've gotten a lot of ideas out of today, uh, but I don't know. Because I think we typically think of oceans as just made of, of water. water. But if And then we've got, in, in our world, then we also have the opposite. We have canyons, which are just dead space, right? Or oceans of air, like the sky, yeah. the sky ocean, right? Yeah. But if you think of how could we make oceans and tell similar stories, you know, like if you had sand pirates or something, you know, how it's, it's again, it's telling similar stories. Tuscan Raiders. You shut your dirty mouth. (laughs) Which, speaking of Tuscan Raiders, can we talk for a second? And again, this has a lot to do with physical world and physical topography. Luke's Uncle Owen Uh was a moisture farmer. Yeah, it's really cool. That's so fucked up. It is such a dry zone that they have to farm moisture. They're not even pressing tree, man. They're trying to pull it. They have condensers. They talk about them. That is fucking mind-blowing. That's so cool. Oh, yeah. From two words, he got that. Moisture farmer. There was some... Fuck me. There was a content creator, I don't remember who, who called this out and was like, the moisture farming is like the best world I think George Lucas ever did. And it's like, the single best he ever did. Well, uh, uh, Coruscant is also is really also cool. Really, cool. really cool. We'll come to Coruscant in a second. Well, I think we'll come to Coruscant another time because it's not. When we talk about cities. Yeah. Okay, it's great but. for cities. Uh, it's a good example of topography being completely erased and just becoming man-made. Yeah. Like you could pull moisture out of the air, but like desalination is like a real world premise. Yeah. What if that becomes standard in your world? It's like there is just one big ass ocean. And the rest of it is, is desert and it's all dry, and but the water is undrinkable. And then how quickly do people go, we need to desalinate that? Uh-huh. And, and they figure out how to do it. And then and then you have a monopoly. You've got – you have a – you could have a corporation. You could have a government. You could have just individuals who are like, we know how to desalinate. We will provide you water. And they become the most powerful people around. Like, yeah, like water – if if like this is assuming water is important, mm-hmm. you could create a world where people don't need water to survive. Yeah, no one needs water. Like we, a lot of the ideas we've thrown in out. In Dune, the sandworms are allergic to water. Oh, I didn't know that. But that's cool. Yeah, no, uh, it kills them. Yeah, like Dune is great for like, Dune is t- topography of world building of like, uh, like because a lot of it is making the environment a character. Yeah, and if you make the environment a character in a way that is inhospitable as a character is very memorable i prefer ones where it's very hospitable and it's very Mm -hmm. like almost like utopian Mm -hmm. uh and more fun like in like almost like a solar punk 
sure yeah um or like i'm just i'm my mind just immediately when i'm like hospital i just go to rivendell i'm just like nah. i just want to go to rivendell but who doesn't crazy people yeah there's not as much meat on those bones as opposed to like inhospitable but the meat comes from what do you do with it you don't get conflict out of a out of a really utopian topographical system and we, we haven't thrown out any that are really positive they've all been no. they've all been c- conflictual because those are ones where you can really get a good good ideas but if you come well, with one that's, that's also well conflicts drive story but also we again that i i said before like it's hard for us to imagine a truly unique world or a world that is truly wholly other we live in a world that is governed by conflict over resources yeah and so the idea of imagining a world where resources aren't a constraint so imagining a utopian world where resources are not constrained, let's imagine a world where they cannot be constrained. For some, let's yeah. just say magic. You can literally just magically create anything you need in as much quantities as you want, and magic is infinite, and it's fine. Would you still have conflict? Would you still yes. say Bob down the street is still an asshole, and so guess what? I'm still going to go kill him. I, I say that I we're struggling with utopian ideas. My homebrew world, like the world that we're building, I'm doing for fun and I do like seriously, is a utopian. Yeah. Like resources are not a constrained world, but it's the conflict comes from the fact that people have forgotten what it's like to be resource constrained. Yeah, to a degree, and you have political you have political strife, and there's like because there's like it depends on how it's constructed, and I'm not going to get into it here because it's mine. Yeah. Uh, you can you can protect you, my you can steal our ideas that we come up with here, not the ideas that that I want for myself. <laughs> uh, it is hard to, to imagine what, what what that's like because it is the reality that, that we exist in, and you you can come up with, with with utopian versions, and we haven't done that today, and we're running out of time here. We're probably going to have to stop by on that. But like, if you come up with a utopian version, that's great. But yeah. the, the conflict will not come from the resources. It, but it might come from what comes down the line from that. It, yeah. it, it can come from, well, there's like you just move up Mas- Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Essentially, mm. you are no longer fighting for survival. You are fighting for the thing that's one step above. And you get to the point where eventually you could say, okay, resource scarcity has not been an issue. Maybe we'll introduce it partway through this story. And then people will be like, wait, what? We've never had to deal with that before. Yeah. It's the shock of, oh, never mind. What if we didn't have, like, mm-hmm. we've taken for granted. Like we as humans in the United States are very unaware of of how blessed we are with resources. Take a second and imagine that you live in the poorest parts of the developing world. Well, I mean, you and I have both traveled extensively. I I did live in a very poor rural village. And guess what? There were resource constraints and people were also a lot more generous and a lot more sharing. Yeah. And when I when the water pipe ran out, when I went to go get water and it just ran out and there was none left, I I mean, I, I paid, I helped them, but my neighbors shared with me. Yeah. It's and, like, and let me fill up some some water jugs. But I, I, I lived off. I lived once off of 25 liters of water for a whole week. It was not pleasant. Yeah. Well, it, it, the, the irony of resource constraints can change. They change your psychology when you have too much. Mm-hmm. You become a hoarder. Mm-hmm. When you don't have a lot, it be, you, you appreciate every single thing for what it is. And you appreciate mm-hmm. what also you remember what it's like to not have it. Mm-hmm. And you remember and, and you want to make sure no one has that experience like you. Mm-hmm. Empathy goes up when you have resource constraints mm-hmm. in certain scenarios. Not in all. Not in all. Some people, it, 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 it sometimes just shows who you are. The same people who would be the hoarding assholes, the same people who are going to 
kill you for every ounce of resource in a resource constrained society. They will society. kill you for a loaf of bread if they have to. Yeah. So you really, you just got to think about it like in human nature. And again, if, if you're world building, you could say that the nature of people in of this species mm. is pure altruism or is pure selfishness. In the real world, not everybody is a selfish asshole. And when, when push comes to shove, plenty of people are, are altruistic as could be because because they it, it would it hurts them more mm-hmm. to to hurt you mm-hmm. than it does for them to suffer. Mm-hmm. So resource constraints aren't necessarily the conflict you no. think they are, but they can be. But they can be, and that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what what has stuck for you in our topography slash Ooh. physics slash resources slash nature <laughs> slash human morality? <laughs> yeah, we, we really we, we really ran the gamut on this one. What's stuck for you today? Uh, for me, topographically speaking, um, I love your idea of the the atlas guard like the the city that's held up by poles i think that's just first that idea of just someone whose entire just very job lightweight is, poles just very lightweight like you know kind of frank costanza like it's aluminum pole it has a great strength to weight ratio <laughs> like for the festivus pole just some guy standing there for 12 hours just holding the pole on his phone i think that's really fine I, I can't get that visual out of my head that that's it's it's not profound in any way yeah i'm just gonna be it's gonna be six hours from now i'm gonna be doing the dishes i'm gonna be laughing about that that, that that works. Yeah. What about you? What stuck for you? I really like the Prism Mountain. I think that's really cool. Mm. I I like the the visuals <laughs> of that. I like that, and I really like the Shining City one as well. Oh, the anything with gravity, the the gravity. Yeah, one. I, I like I like messing with gravity, but I like yeah. the idea of the, the the gravity well on the one specific spot. Everything's turned into like a diamond or yeah. like a precious gem because of the density of like how dense everything is, and the fact that and the the death wall. Or yeah, I, I think that, I think both of those ideas of like the singular place that it, that has been blessed and cursed by its, yeah. by its natural phenomena i think that's really cool well that's what's stuck for us please be sure to reach out and tell us what's stuck for you we'd love to hear thanks for listening bye